I'm Julie Hyde, and I believe you can't be a leader of others until you are a leader of self. It all starts with leading you. So if you are ready to be the best leader that you can be, you're in the right place. I'll be chatting to a diverse range of leaders who will spill the beans on their leadership, how they changed the game, insights into their mindset, and how they built the courage and resilience to be a modern leader with impact. Let's get into it. Now, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. With me is Catherine Duncan, the Chief Operating Officer at Matthew Steer Accountants and Advisors, and Adam Routh, who is the Chief Customer Officer at Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, leading the business and agri part of that bank. Now, I invited them to have a chat with me about International Women's Day and embracing equity as two people who have a big influence on how diverse and inclusive their organizations are and have for a long time with really positive results. Now, both Catherine and Adam have worked internationally in corporate and private enterprise, so they have a very firm finger on the pulse. So welcome, Catherine and Adam. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julie. Now, I wanted to frame the conversation because there's so much to talk about in you know about half an hour and I'd love to direct all the listeners if you'd like to read more about Catherine and Adam's background have a look at the show notes because their background is very very impressive which is why I wanted to chat to them today but I wanted to frame our conversation as follows and this is something that I got from the International Women's Day website which is imagine a gender equal world a world free of bias, stereotypes, and discrimination, a world that's diverse, equitable, and inclusive, a world where difference is valued and celebrated. And the theme for International Women's Day this year is embrace equity. Now, in terms of gender equity and parity, there's only been marginal progress since 2015. And this isn't just a social issue, it's an economic issue. And we know that women were severely impacted during the COVID lockdowns, which I think has had a big flow-on effect. But I also think that it's forced women to reprioritize And I think they're clearer on what their expectations are of the organization that they work for and what they need. And also something to be really aware of and alarmed about is the level of homelessness in women, which is rising with the 55 plus age group and is almost doubling that of men. Now, I know that the Equity discussion extends past women, but today we're focusing on women in the workplace in support of International Women's Day. So that is enough from me, and I'm going to throw it over to you. What does embracing equity mean to you? I love that question, Julie, because for me, true equity, it's not always easy because it isn't a linear path. I think to get close enough to equity, you really need to understand the differences of the individuals that you're dealing with and the groups. The thing about that is it really takes time. It means that you've got to get up close and get personal. And it also takes energy. Because the thing that I've also found is once you get that understanding, you need to then be prepared for potential pushback 
from others in the business. And sometimes you get faced with that challenge and the noise of emotions around embracing equity. You know, you get that sort of noise of fairness or people who have previously done it tough and you're trying to evolve the business and they're more talking about, I didn't get any consideration or resources when I was going through this. So you've got that whole sort of comparison. And that can kind of lead to favoritism within the business when you're trying to get that balance of equity as well. So there's lots of complications that can be in there if you don't look at the big picture. But at the end of the day, when you have true equity, it really does accelerate the outcomes of the business and really does get you to become a high-performing business when everybody's on board. Nice. I think I'll follow on with what Catherine just said at the end in particular around this high-performing business because I think the normal starting place for where you would be how do you just create a fairer workplace, a fairer environment where everyone is treated the same? But to do that from where we've been in the past is that actually because that isn't the case, you really have to swing that pendulum a little bit further the other way or sometimes a lot further that other way to create that equity. And that means that some people are going to feel like others are being pushed in front of them for whatever reason, but it's actually not the case because what you're trying to do is is remove decades or centuries of bias that's being created over time. And to do that, you actually have to then create this other bias in people's minds. And that isn't even leveling it up. When you think about this, you've got mainly men in senior positions still to this day. Most people like to hire in their image of themselves. That's just a reality and a proven fact. So you've nearly got to create this way of bias to be able to encourage and push people forward. And I think that's what creates what some people perceive is this bias towards gender or women in these instances, when actually that's not the case at all. Put all of that aside, though, and the economic facts are pretty basic. If you have a more diverse workforce with more diverse senior leadership, you are, as a company, more successful. It's been proven time and time and time again. It's proven in financial results. It's proven in share value, etc. So as a business, this is not just a nice to do. It's an actual imperative to do. I read a study from KPMG recently and said, if we were to close just half the gender pay gap, just half the gender pay gap, that would add $60 billion to the Australian economy. That's half the gender pay gap. So from my perspective, equity is just about the smart thing to do for business, but for individuals, but it's also the fair and basic thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. It doesn't seem to be getting through to many at the top. So I want to focus on what you have done within your organisations because we can only focus on what we can control and where we have influence. So as people who do have huge influence over the workforce and have started way below the leadership and come through, which I think is really valuable when you get to that leadership role and you've seen a lot, What are some of the things that you have done that have been successful in trying to create a more inclusive workforce? I think it is starting out with this whole idea of what a diverse team is and how do you create diversity within that team and what that actually means in terms of diversity of thought. So how do I get people who are going to challenge the thought process in the team as opposed to just universally agree with it? And what that means, though, is that you actually are hiring for diversity in thought as opposed to hiring people, no matter what gender they are, 
think and behave exactly the same way because they've been brought up institutionally that if I ever get ahead, I, I want to achieve that. That actually doesn't achieve the outcome that you want. So from my perspective, it starts with that in, in mind, which says I'm after diversity in thought because I know diversity in thought is going to make us a better team. So it's going to make us a more fun team as well when we go ahead. And then I think how do you then replicate that by setting the benchmark in all of your teams? And then that means that you actually have to go about setting things, which I know some people don't like, which is targets. So we have targets in terms of senior women in leadership. And all three organizations, even NAB back in the day, and that was a long time ago, had a target. But I know today, in terms of where I'm at with Ben, we have a very clearly defined target of what we want to achieve. And it's what we call 40-40-20. So 40% men, 40% women, and 20% whatever, i.e. it can be non-binary, can be men or women or whomever you want to describe yourself and just giving yourself flexibility in your workforce. But I think that's a starting point. But then you've got to then recognize things like the gender pay gap. Then you've got to recognize things like, well, how do you get there? What are you creating? And so how do you have specific training for women in business? And we do a lot of that. And I did a lot of that the last organization, but I'm a passionate believer in saying you have to have specific programs because there are specific needs. All the research we did years ago demonstrated that if a man could do 10% of the job he was applying for, he would apply for the job. If a woman could do 70% of the job that she was applying for, she would not apply for the job. And that's a gross generalization, but it came through time and time again in the research that we did. So what you have to do then is actually go out and encourage the female candidates in your team to apply. And you've got to make sure you've got the right panels and mixture of men and women who are sitting in that panel to do the interviews to ensure that you're getting a balanced approach. And then you've got to really lay out, if this is our target, and I've got two candidates that are equal in skill, both men and women, that I am going to appoint the female candidate to that leadership role. And I think in that way, still best candidate for the role, but if all things being equal, and I'm after that diversity of thought in my team, that's what I have to do. And I think it's taking tangible steps like that that are actually going to change us for better in the future. Yeah, nice Catherine? I love that 40-40-20. That's a great way to look at that, Adam. I'll have a think about that in our business as well. It's a really nice way to look at it overall. For me, Julie, when I joined Matthew Steer, it was a fairly small firm, and I realised that we were just hiring people that looked like us. They came from the same local backgrounds. They went to the same school. They barracked for the same city team, which was really important in Melbourne. So our execs, who were originally just four people and finding partners, ended up with slowly just having clones of each other in the business. So it's to your point, Adam, about that unconscious bias that we have and being drawn towards people that look like us and think if we're all the same, we'll have a much more cohesive and harmonious business. But it's not what ends up happening. And it caused a lot of tension in the business when we were growing. And that slowly, slowly changed who was sitting at the table. And I've watched that over the last sort of 10 to 15 years. And it's been amazing because we now have a real diverse 10 executives sitting at the table with different backgrounds, different nationalities, different ages, different genders. I think when you have that in the leadership, the team below are looking at the leadership group to say, where do I fit in? And if you don't have somebody that looks like you or that you can connect to in some way, it becomes a problem for people coming through the business. I mean, we only have two females at the exec level, but that's a whole different conversation. 
I guess the other thing is a traditional accounting business as well. It's that traditional partnership, fee generating people with equity, etc. In my case, I've ended up being somebody who wasn't in that pathway. I'm not an accountant. I'm not fee generating, but I was at the exec table. I was at the board and eventually had equity in the business. So, you know, you hope that you're then forging a pathway for people to look at things differently coming through the business. But, you know, to your point about fun, Adam, as well, we really celebrate that mixture and that diversity of people. You know, we've got 53% males, 47% females, 31% who speak another language in the business, 23% were born in another country, 41% of them have parents who were born in another country. So that sort of diversity in the team is incredible. You get a different lens on different problems and you get quite unique solutions as well, which I love. So yeah, have a bit of fun with that diversity, especially on Harmony Day where you're all bringing in food. That's the best part. (laughs) All the different recipes that you're bringing into the business. But yeah, look, you do have a lot of fun with that level of diversity and it helps you to think differently as well. Yeah, I think you've both made really, really strong points there. And I love that 40-40-20 as well in terms of a holistic target. I understand why we have to have quotas, you know, in large corporates, but um, I'm not a fan of them because I think it's just ticking a box and it's not actually influencing change. It's just like, yep, I need to get a female around the board table or a female in the leadership team and yay, I've done it. It's not changing any long-term thinking or the culture of the organisation. I think when we're recruiting in that way, it sometimes sends the wrong message because I'm a big believer, right person for the right role, as you say, and being really equitable in the recruitment. And also to pick up on your point, Catherine, in terms of women not being able to see where they want to go, someone in that position ahead of them, and because if they can't see it, they can't believe that they can do it. Therefore, you can lose women from your organization and they might go somewhere where they can see it so they can aspire it towards it and looking for the role models who can take them forward. I don't actually think that even needs to be women who need to be the role models. I think men can be really strong role models for women too. And I was really lucky that I had that. When I was in corporate, I had really strong male role models as well as women who were good role models as well. So I think you've made some really good points there, and particularly around age and gender. If there's something I've learned from my cancer diagnosis, it's that life is short and we all have a choice about how we live and lead. When life throws you lemons, you crack open the GNT. My inspiring keynote designed for leaders and those who know that we are all leaders, the day my life changed forever, how to be the leader of your own life has been described as life-changing both personally and professionally and I am now delivering this presentation to corporations, associations and teams across Australia. If this is something that interests you, you can find out more via my website juliehyde.com.au. So I want to get to what you think is the biggest influencer in creating a more equitable and a more inclusive workplace. What do you think is the thing that is going to make the biggest difference? All the areas have to play a part, but if I was to pull one out to your point, 
Julie, I would say technology is the one that is going to make the biggest difference. And I think the things that have held people back, when I say people as a whole, and it's just not females, but it is this ability to have to be in the office all the time in the past. And COVID has helped with that, if there's a benefit out of that. The movement forward in terms of technology, in terms of being able to access and work from anywhere effectively and do your job great, that just gives you such a bigger opportunity to participate. You could be in the middle of the territory now and take on a senior role as opposed to having to be in Melbourne or Sydney, which has been the case in the past. And, you know, yes, you might still have to go into the office occasionally to connect and meet up because that's really important to have that touch and feel of an organization. But when that's not required every day of the week, that makes a significant difference. And if you think about this, if you're having to care for someone and in the past that was primarily children and that was primarily the role of the female in the relationship to do that i know that's expanded now but as you think about our aging population and the fact that we're going to have to care for our older people in the community as well we've got to create this ability for people to be flexible in the workplace and that means that they can come and go as they please even in an organization like bendigo who's very forward thinking when i got here i think i mentioned this to you julie i had an instance where one of my team had gone off on maternity leave and our view of the world when she walked out that door to take her maternity leave is cancel all access all passes all access to it everything you are dead to us in the nicest possible sense and that's not what they said but that's what the action showed when we did that and it took me weeks to get that access put back in in relation to because when i connected with Hannah, who was the person off on maternity leave, I wanted that connection because what I'd done previously in organizations is anyone who went off on maternity leave or carers leave for that matter, I wanted to say, stay connected with us. And if you're up for it, we'll do our monthly one-to-one. We'll connect with you. We'll pay you for it. We'll ensure you can come to team meetings if you want, if you have the capacity, all subject to you because you are on leave. So we've got to make sure that we respect that. But at the same time, This was our way of keeping you connected to the organization because, again, research had shown us when people went off to that nine or 12 months or whatever it might be, that they became really disconnected and that actually affected their ability to rejoin the organization. And you lost so many great people to either your organization or others, but by keeping people connected with all the changes that were going on, with all the new people that were coming in, with all the introductions. And Hannah, if he comes back to work tomorrow, actually, starting on three days and four, then five, She told me this has been fantastic. She's come to team meetings. She doesn't feel disconnected. She's played a part in our leadership team throughout that. And I think it's those kinds of things that you can do through technology because most of that's been through teams meetings and phone calls, et cetera, but mainly digital technology that's allowed her to be connected to the organization. And if you think if you can take that and expand it massively, the opportunities will have for people who may choose to do other things in their life or have to do other things through caring for other people or other areas, that's just this huge opportunity for us to move forward. And I think that's something we haven't had in the past. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I totally agree with your point about the maternity leave because I think that's something that traditionally organisations just don't do well. Even when I was leading in corporate, I just didn't do that well enough. And the feedback was, you know, they come back into the organization, they just don't know what's going on. They feel like they're completely disconnected, like they're the newcomer back into a business that they may have worked in 20 years prior. 
or 10 years prior. So it's so important to keep that connection going. So Catherine, I'm sure you've seen that as well where you've worked. 100%. I was just laughing when Adam was speaking in horror actually because I've got so many war stories of exactly the same thing. But the whole COVID thing has been the biggest game changer for us. It was definitely a very well proven experiment for everybody, thank God, because even to this day, I still have some people in the leadership team that wants everybody in the office every single day. You know, I'm a firm believer that you give people a bit of breathing space, even on working from home, that one day to decompress. For me, it's having that white space of being able to think and work, but I don't have the noise around me. So it's fantastic. But Look, I think the biggest detractor to creating that equitable workplace, which is basically what you've been saying as well, Adam, is is that we just keep making assumptions on what's needed for people. You know, and that's where I've seen just to to take on from what you've said for myself, you know, those bad assumptions when I remember once one of the girls went on mat leave and again we shut down invites to all our annual events because she was on mat leave. And she actually, we had our awards night, our annual awards night, Black Tie, the day after her child was born. And she called me crying because she didn't get an invite because we just assumed she wouldn't want to go. Well, she didn't want to go, but she was all hormonal and upset. And I thought it was just a simple thing that really stuck in my mind of the impact you can have on someone like that. And likewise, as you say, Adam, I've had the reverse of that somebody 10 years plus team leader, going on mat leave, knew the business inside out. And when she came back, your self-esteem, your confidence is low and you come into a business that you don't even know half the team because everything's moved forward. So it is that, how do you prepare people to leave for a sense of time and how do you onboard them when they come back and how do you keep in touch with them in the middle? But, you know, I'd see that for all staff, part-time, full-time, casual, people on mat leave. It's how do you have that whole inclusive. And I guess the only other thing for me is thankfully I have very young partners in the business. So some of them have young family. And I love that they've said they don't want meetings before nine o'clock or after three o'clock because they're doing the drop off or pick up with their wife, you know, who's a teacher from school. So they share that. Their calendar shows it. Everybody knows it. And I just love that shift that we're celebrating that we have young partners who have family or commitments and we're blending that in with their work life as well and they still do a fantastic high-performing job. And I also think that when they're able to live their life like that, they bring that into the workplace. They bring that sense of caring and support into the workplace because they feel fulfilled in being able to sort of look after everything. And as you say, Adam, you know, you've got older parents or whatever potentially to look after. I just think that whole ability to say no and it be okay gives everybody else permission to do that as well. So I think things like that, not making assumptions and allowing people to say what's right for them and blending that is just wonderful across the whole business. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The whole assumption thing is really interesting. But I think to pick up on both of your points, it's really giving people the option to be part of things when they are on mat leave or carers leave or whatever leave that looks like, just to still keep that connection going. And I also love the fact that you're both really, really curious about your people and where they're at and what's going on. And I think that has been a real key contributor to your success 
in how you've shaped your workforce. But I also want to pick up on your point, one of you made, around needing to encourage women to step forward. Because something that I've observed probably in the last, I don't know, say at least five years, is that women don't necessarily want to step into the leadership roles for fear of the responsibility or what's expected of them or the hours. Is there something that you're seeing that's creating the fear with women to step forward? I do think part of it is just where we're at in terms of the cycle. So I've got a friend with two teenage daughters, very, very intelligent, doing incredibly well in terms of their school and everything like that. And they are completely different to even female colleagues I have in the workforce in their 30s who, to your point, need to be encouraged a bit more to take the opportunity. In instances, don't get me wrong, there are people who are as dogged at taking those opportunities as some of the male staff, but as a whole, this is where I've seen. Whereas, you know, them and their friends, completely different. They are on the front foot. They are taking advantage of the opportunity, setting it. And I think you can have a look at the school performance and the university acceptance now where female students are just doing not just better, but significantly better than the male counterparts. And actually, a bit of research we did is that it was 14 to 16-year-old boys who are really starting to struggle. So there's this been switch in terms of what's happening in terms of that demographic as well. So I think there is a time aspect of it in terms of we are a breeding of the culture that we grew up in, aren't we? You know, that's the reality of what's helped shape us. The norms in our formative years have helped control that. And those norms very much, so even in the 80s and 90s, were very much still of a particular way of doing things. I saw an article the other day that someone said, we were all brought up on the Brady Bunch. And I laughed at that because I was. You know, literally, you know, there are some good values you learned from that show. But there were some things that, you know, they were very clearly articulated. The man went out to work. The woman was at home and got a maid, to be honest. But it's just this kind of way that we were shaped to a certain degree. And because of that, I think that's our job. All jobs of leaders in an organization need to step forward. Female, male, LGBTQI, who I also find is a reluctance to step forward in a lot of instances. You've got to be just going out there and saying, I understand who the talented individuals are in my organization. And that's a job of every leader to understand and to dig deep and to do those skip level meetings to know who they are. And because of that, I then know when I'm planning for new roles, who the candidates for those roles should be. And that's when you're going in and stepping in and saying, you know what, Julie, you are the candidate for this role. You need to step into it in relation to apply and going to go through the process. And even if you're unsuccessful, it's going to be great learning experience for you. Same way as I would with anyone else. And that's our job in terms of leadership. We can't just sit back and wait. Totally agree. Catherine, do you feel the same in terms of encouraging women to sort of move forward? Yeah, it's just really fascinating. I I agree with that whole concept of different generations. And I think for me personally, I just tend to end up having the conversation. And through that dialogue, you're opening up what you need with your boss or the leadership of the business. And that's evolved for me. But I find with the young kids today, they are really bold. They put themselves out there, you know, with the whole change in salaries and people changing their whole careers at the moment. There's a lot of competition out there and it really is a candidate's market. 
And I can get some young people coming in and it can feel like it's constantly what they want and give for me. And no matter what your employee value proposition is, it seems like they want more. But I always step back from that and go, isn't this fantastic that they're finding a way to get into a room with me and ask me for what they want? But the fact that they actually have the courage to ask for what they want, I really applaud them. They can sit there with their bottom lip trembling but they find a way. So it's really telling them, I really applaud your courage and your vulnerability and being in the room and having this conversation and us working together in terms of what we end up moving towards. You are just seeing this whole new boldness amongst younger people who are prepared to ask for it, whether it's the role or a pay rise or whatever it might be. And that's encouraging. I, I think where we're getting to, or from my perspective, where we're getting to in relation to what I'm seeing is that I do think there is a generational shift that's happening. And as much as you mentioned before, you don't like targets, I'm 100% in agreement with you, actually. But I think you've got to have something to start. It cannot just be that. And it certainly can't be a tick box exercise, as you say. But it has to be a place where you say, this is our aspiration as an organization. What am I going to then do to encourage that to happen? Now, because I think both of you are saying that having that role model, and as much as you can have male role models, female roles, if you see someone like you in that senior role, it's one of those things that you want to go after. I was mentioning earlier that we have a one of two ASX companies in Bendigo that has a female CEO and chairman, only two in all of the ASX 100 that accomplish that. That for females looking up is a great thing in our organization, but how do you spread that across other organizations? I think it's got to be a mixture of things. We can't wait for the new generation to come through and we've got to make sure that we remove a number of the barriers that were in previous generations so they don't hit them. So to your point at the start, there's this equity and we don't even have to worry about this stuff in 10 years or 20 years from now. Yeah, that would be so good. There's so much to pack into our 30-minute conversation. So I'd love to just reinforce the very clear point that you both made around the technology as being, I think, one of the biggest contributors to enabling a really inclusive and equitable workforce and just enabling people. I'm a big believer in enabling people to where you can. So particularly for knowledge workers, that is really possible that we enable people to work when they can and when they work at their best, not necessarily between hours. I think technology absolutely 100% facilitates that and we've got no excuse now because we know we can do it. So I'd love to just finish up on what is your final message, Catherine, for women that you would like to leave with them that will give them a motivation boost to really step forward and take charge of their own careers and their own destiny? I think my message is really simple. It's ask for what you want. It's understand what you need. Get to know yourself better in terms of what works for you and then sit down with somebody and have the conversation. You know, I think a lot of people can assume that their boss or their team leader or their managers know what they want. It's like, you should have known that. You should have known that was important to me. But the reality is we don't. You know, you're looking after a lot of people with a lot of individual needs. You're not always going to get that right. So it really, it is. Have the discussion and jointly build a plan together and a timeline of what you want and what you need and when and see how that complements the business and how you can work that together. Because it's not a race, so don't compare. 
look for what you want and need and go and ask for it. Love it. And Adam, what is your final message? It's very similar to Catherine's. I think you've got to tell people what you want and you've got to start by figuring that out yourself. What do I want to achieve? And then don't let the perceived barriers, because in this day and age, a lot of them now are perceived. Don't get me wrong. There are still some really creeps out there who do the wrong thing, but they have so much fewer and barra between now. And there's so many great businesses who really want to help you to be successful. Your job is just to grab hold of it. Don't wait. And even if you don't think you can, don't be scared. Push yourself forward just a little bit. Take that first tentative step and go, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. What is the absolute worst thing that can happen if I give this a go? You know what? I might fail, but I'll learn and then I'll give it a go again. And I think if we can just encourage all people, but in particular, females who are just a little bit trepidatious about stepping forward and saying, can I do this? My answer to you is I bet 100% of the time you can do it. You've got to be questioning yourself even earlier. If there's an opportunity that you think looks good, just go for it. That would be my answer. But to do that, get help. Ask peers, ask people. In my experience, everyone out there that you ask, I've never heard a person go, can you help me with this or that or be a mentor? I've never heard anyone go, no, get away from me. No, but you don't do that. If they're really, really busy, they'll often find you someone else and they want to support your growth and your step forward. So just take advantage of it all. Absolutely. Get out there, ask for what you want and get supporters around you. And I think that is a really important message for leaders as well in terms of looking for people to champion, to identify the strengths within your team and even those people that you know, that you can see the potential in the opportunity and to really encourage them forward. So thank you so much, Catherine and Adam for your time today and your wisdom. It's been wonderful speaking with you. I could speak with you all day. (laughs) I really appreciate your thoughts and I can't wait to get this out there to my audience. So thank you. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Catherine. It was great. 